Welcome to the Grow Bold with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most, to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristan Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and am a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Today's episode of Grow Bold with Disability is Growing Bold with Cultural and Linguistic Diversity, or COLD. And our guest is Isabel Osuna Gatti, who was born in Venezuela and is blind. Well, was blind. We'll find out a bit more about that later. But she's had to overcome a lot of different types of disadvantage upon moving here to Australia. In this episode, we'll discover how Isabel became blind, why she moved to Australia, some of the adversities she's had to overcome, and what drives her passion, not only for the cold community, but also for the Australian Aboriginal people. Isabel, welcome to Grow Bold with Disability. Thank you very much for having me here. So, Isabel, let's start from the very beginning. Uh, You are blind one eye. How, How did that happen? Well, it's a long story. Uh, Basically, I was a big baby. My mom was a small woman and the doctor fractured my jaw with the forceps when I was born. Didn't say anything to my mom and my jaw grew inside of my skull. So my um, eye sockets grew, instead of being round, they grew elongated. So with time, if with age, uh, basically my right eye basically emptied. And, um, and then I had a retina detachment. So they, be, you know, went to the hospital, got that all fixed, and I had a cataract as well. So they decided to do the cataract operation at the same time. And of course, being me, the sack where the lens sits got damaged during the operation. So they didn't want to touch my eye for five years. So I was totally blind in my right eye for five mm-hmm. long years. Well, so now there's a lot of a bit of a story before that because I've spoken to you before about this stuff and it's very interesting. That sort of came on a little bit later in life, but you had a fair bit of adversity growing up back in your school days in Venezuela as well because of this, well, do we call it a deformity with your jaw? That's correct. Yes, that's correct. So I basically, I didn't have a bite. So I rarely smiled. Um, I didn't have any friends. I was bullied horrifically by every, everyone um, because, yeah, I imagine my lower jaw being on one side and my upper jaw being on the other side. So none of my teeth touched. So I had to cut all my food very, very tiny and literally eat with my tongue. So um, I think, as I said, I didn't have any friends. I have very few friends that could, you know, really understand where I was coming from. And um, yeah, I just basically put my head into books and read a lot and learned a lot in this time. So yeah, I just, um, I felt um, I was different and uh, nobody really liked me. And so in terms of, you know, uh, access when it came to learn, you mentioned there loving the books and, and engrossing yourself with those. Um, that, those were your friends. That's, that's how you, you staved off the isolation, I imagine. Absolutely. And um, and it also first felt very strange being so young and lo- knowing all about, you know, Egyptian empires <laughs> and all these kind of, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, who would, you know, want to have a conversation with you when you're five years old and you say, well, you know, what I want <laughs> for Christmas is a book on Egyptian civilization, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> now, this this problem was kind of solved when you got a little bit older. Was it in your early teens where you discovered what was actually wrong? Yeah, well, actually, um, because I learned so much, actually, um, I, my, my aunt um, was the secretary of a pediatrician, so I always asked her to bring the magazines over to me, and I will be reading, um, you know, medical articles and all kind of stuff. And I knew that my, that, that my situation had, uh, had a solution. But unfortunately, you know, my parents were, you know, too busy in the space to, you know, pay any attention. So um, I, my sister was actually playing golf. And you, as you would imagine, because my eyesight was really bad by then, I was almost legally blind. I was minus 18 and to be legally blind, you had to be minus 20. So I was very, very blind. So I had those horrid, you know, bottle glasses, you know, um, <laughs> where you, you know, <laughs> you know how it is. So you can imagine. The Coke bottle, with yeah. A smile and with, yeah, and with the glasses, imagine how I would look looking around the street. So anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> so my sister was actually playing golf. And of course, I didn't see when she picked up the golf club and, um, and she hit my face and I was just so happy so happy that she hit my face and she was freaking out and I was on the floor going yes I'm going to see a doctor yes and my sister was going oh my god I killed her I killed her so you know <laughs> anyway I ended up um in a pediatrician and and he was and he was like oh my god but some this is not from now this is from before and I said yeah I know so I was very tomboyish and I had literally had taken the information about my surgery, and I, before, you know, we didn't have laminating, so I had taken sticky tape, and I put sticky tape on that page, and I folded it, and I put it inside of my wallet. So when he asked me, I took that out, and I said, this is what I need. And he says, how wow. old are you again? And he goes, and I go, 11. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God, you sound like you're, you're 20. And I said, I know. It's, that's what everybody says. Um, so anyway, so... So he said, you know, uh, this is serious. I'm going to take, I'm going to take an x-ray. So he did, he took an x-ray and it was actually pretty serious because one side of my jaw was actually coming out of one of, uh, on the side of my, um, of my sinus. So it was really, really serious. And, um, and I said, well, listen, you need to sit down with my parents, really explain the situation because otherwise nothing's going to happen. And he's like, how old are you again? I'm like, okay, just do it. <laughs> so anyway, yes, that's how I ended up having a, a, an amazing surgery. I went, I, I had a, the best surgeon in Venezuela back then. He was actually from a German ancestry, so he had been trained in Europe. And what they had to do was actually, they had to be, imagine, this is a long time ago where we, you know how braces are from the outside now? Before yep. that didn't exist, you, they had to put a wire around each one of your tooth, uh, your teeth mm. and then pull them all together. So that's what they did. They put a wire around every one of my, uh, my teeth and then, then the surgery was to actually break the jaw. They broke the jaw in three parts. They put them all together. I have wires. I do not blink at airports, thank God. But, um, <laughs> you know, they put it all together. And they wired my jaw, and I basically was like that for one whole entire year. So I had to be inside. I couldn't be outside because something with the um, UV rays or something, I cannot remember exactly why, but I just couldn't be outside. Mm. 
But anyway, I was, you know, I lost a lot of weight. I was about 25 kilos and I was very hungry because <laughs> all I could do was to eat. You know, those tiny little straws that sometimes they, yeah. they use for, you know, stirring the coffee. That's yeah. the only thing that could go through my teeth. Wow, so for sometimes a year. I was so hungry, I would, I would take the jello and just basically squish it around on my teeth and I just swallow, swallow because I was just so hungry. So anyway, after one whole year of this horrible, you know, I had to have, you know, lots of um, injections. I, I'm petrified of needles because of that. I had tons of injections every day. And then finally, they took out the horrible wires. And, um, and you know, I said to my father, the only thing that I want to know I want to do is I want to bite something. <laughs> so he gave me this Venezuelan um, Venezuelan. Uh, um, there's a Venezuelan biscuit called Cococete. It's made with coconut and, and cocoa. And I beat the biscuit and I looked at the bite and I just went, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> and to me, you know, of course, people take that for granted, you know mm. what I mean? But to me, that was just so amazing to be able to chew with my teeth. Um, yeah, Incredible. so so I became normal <laughs> in a way. So at the same time, um, contact lenses came to be. So my aunt took me and gave me some contact lenses. So by the time, and this is a complete true story, I'm writing a book, so I'm not telling you a lot because I want people to buy my book. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> I went back to school and no one recognized me. Wow. Right. And that was the coolest thing. That was the coolest thing because I thought, okay, well, great. Um, yeah. And then that's when I knew who of those people were really my friends. Yeah. And those people are still my friends today. Fantastic. Amazing. Today, Incredible. today, today. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. We all find out our friends when it all comes down to adversity, doesn't it? Now let's move. It. Correct. Let's, um, let's fast forward to, um, you're living in Australia now. Obviously you're living down in South Australia. How did you end up here? Yeah. Well, um, that's another crazy story that goes in my book. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I met my husband when the internet wasn't even the internet. You know how you had to put, you had to plug something on the wall and it would go nee, 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 like that and you get oh, on the, the internet. Dial I don't know if you do yeah, remember yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably too young for that, but anyway. No, 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 um, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> There was, um, back then, there was something in Hotmail that, um, it, it was kind of like um, a pen pals. You could have pen pals and you could meet people from, and I've always had pen pals since I was little, because as you know, I was very lonely. So I yeah. had friends in Brazil, in Sri Lanka, in England, everywhere, because uh, that was my, my way of having friends who couldn't see me. So that was great. So um I met my husband and I said, well, you know, I want to meet somebody, but, you know, what happens if that guy falls in love with me? I'm not interested, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I looked around, you know, I was in Venezuela, I remember that. So, uh, so majority of the guys were in the States and were only like about three hours from the States. And I said, forget it. I'm not yeah. looking at this. So I saw two guys in Australia. And I went, great, there is no way that I can jump on a plane and be here tomorrow. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to write to the two guys from Australia. So one of the guys had children. I didn't have any children. So I thought, no, I'm not going to go that way. So I chose the other guy and I thought he was funny. And he said, oh, you know, he wrote something like, you know, I'm, you know, I want to meet somebody, you know, just to be friends. But, you know, if you don't think you want to write with me, tell your sister or something like that. I thought he was funny. And I go, oh, he's funny. That's good. 
So we started writing to each other, and um, yeah, well, he's still my husband, and we've been together for 21 years. Oh, Amazing. Fantastic. Congratulations. <laughs> nice work. <laughs> Thanks. So that's how I ended up in Australia. Oh, fantastic. And how'd you, how how'd you find it when you moved to Australia culturally? What was the difference? It, you know, were there any? Oh, my. Yeah, you. I mean, we, you know, we're very Americanized, uh, you know, because I went to school in the United States, by the way. So um, I did my high school and university in the, United, in the United States. So I'm very Americanized in that sense. So I don't have this, you know, very South American, you know, a lot of people. I'm a little bit different in that sense because I, work, I grew up um, with a Jewish family in, in America. So, so I come from, you know, different values. But for me, um, it, it's... I thought that it was a very individualistic society. That was the thing that caught, caught my eye the most. In, um, in Venezuela, we're very much together. We, we get together and we help each other. And it's constantly this you know, collective society mentality. The same thing when I grew up in the States, um, having lived with, with a Jewish family, the same thing. The Jewish community is very close together. So... When I came here, I'm like, oh, everybody, you know, is by themselves. But you know what, what you caught really the most of my attention? I walked into Sydney and everybody was wearing black. And I said to my then boyfriend, who died? <laughs> oh, my God, everybody's wearing black. It must be somebody so important. And he goes, no, everybody wears black. <laughs> and uh, we don't wear black unless somebody dies. And I just couldn't believe the whole entire Sydney full of people wearing black. Yeah. And I'm like, how boring. <laughs> so, of course, until the day of today, I'm actually right now wearing a very red blouse. I wear, I wear color. I wear color in my hair. I wear color everywhere. I just don't like wearing black. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, it, <laughs> that was the, my second culture shock right That's there. That's a really funny point. Um, um, yeah, I didn't notice yeah, that. Guess what I'm wearing right now, Isabel? Black. What? <laughs> Sorry. Black? Oh, no. Uh, <gasps> it's, it's, you blend. <laughs> I know. It's very funny that, you, that, that we don't obviously see these things because we grew up around them. And as, a, as you know, this podcast is about the sort of cultural and linguistic, linguistic diversity that we find here in Australia. What are some of the other issues that you've come across, especially with people you've worked with people with disability, people with disability within the cold community? What do they face? Yeah, I mean, and, and having, you know, come from, from Venezuela where I know, you know, you, you hide, you hide your people with a disability. You know, back then they were, and I told you a, a, another true story, um, you know, if you have a person with a disability in your family, that person does, didn't, back then, didn't go to school, they, they, you, didn't, you didn't show them, they will be living in, you know, in a room in the basement in the house, true wow. story, yeah, 100%. Um, and when, when I was in primary school, um, of course, you know, I was different and I saw a lot of children with Down syndrome running around the streets all day long. And I was like, oh my God, well, you know, why are they? So I, I, um, I went to talk to my mom and I said, I know that, you know, we have a, a few kids in the street we, we, you know, with Down syndrome and how come they're not in school? And my mom says they can't go to school. And I go, why not? And um, Mama said, yeah, because they have Down syndrome. And I'm like, I thought that was weird. I always wanted to be a teacher. So I asked my dad to buy me a, a blackboard and some colors, some pens and stuff. 
And I said to my mom, well, tell all the mothers of the children with Down syndrome to come in the afternoon. I was in, in fourth grade to, to, to come to the house, and I'm going to be wow. teaching them. When I finish my school, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll tell the kids in the afternoon so that way they're, you know, they're not running around all day and they're not learning. So I had a, I had a classroom <laughs> of about, about wow. four or five kids with <laughs> Down syndrome. And it was fantastic, fantastic. I mean, I taught them the colors and how to, uh, how to color and how to, you know, I, I'm very artistic, so we did mm. a lot of the stuff. And I told them how to, you know, the letters and things like that. And, you know, believe, as I said, true story, um, about 20 years later, my mom contacted me and said, remember one of, the, one of the girls that you used to teach? And her name is Valentina. And I said, yeah, well, her mom called me and let me know that she became a Paralympian. Wow. Amazing. I was like, wow. You know, so that's the thing. You don't know. You don't know the, the, the ability that a person has. You know what I mean? It's just about helping. So for me, it's, it's that. It's being able to, um, you know, change that, that mentality. And, and here, um, in my experience as well with, with people from cow backgrounds here, they're still very afraid that, you know, or, or still don't, don't think that a person with a disability has the power and the ability to do something. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and that's what, you know, my, my role in, in uh, I just want to tell people, everybody has a purpose in life. We all have something that we can do and we need mm. to push other people and help other people make sure that that happens. Incredible. Absolutely. And I mean, that's influenced the work you're doing now. You're currently on a project that's reducing cultural stigma and improving education pathways for people with disabilities from cold backgrounds. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yeah. So basically, um, I, I cover the, the, the central and northern South Australia region. Um, my role is the National, Co Co National Disability Coordination Officer. And uh, what we do is we, we ensure that um, we work with services that work with people with a disability, but we, we have to make sure that people have access to tertiary education. And tertiary education means certificate one and above. It doesn't, it doesn't mean university. It also means university, but it is about the person having an option. If they want to study what they, they want to study and how they're going to do it, and there are services and supports available for that person to do that. So my role is to, you know, talk to services and, and ensure that they, the systems are in place to, for people with disability to access um, education. So at the moment, um, I have one particular project working with call communities, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, partnering with Feral Care at the moment to, to make that happen. But I'm also, you know, running around in, you know, around my region to ensure that that happens as well. Now, 2016 was a pretty big year for you. Tell everyone what happened to you in 2016 and what award you took out, which is pretty incredible. Oh, okay. You know, I was, <laughs> I had to pretend yes. like you don't remember. <laughs> I, I had to think. You know what? Yes. <laughs> Yes, I had to. That is so funny. Okay, hold on. Um, yes, yeah, so I was. Uh, I, yeah, that's that's funny. Um, I won. Let me remember. It's a long. It's a long um, name. So hold on. I won the 2016 Australian Training Award 
for Excellence in Language Literacy and Numeracy Practice. Which was incredible. Okay. Because you're the first, so, first person from a cold yeah. background to do this as well. Yep, absolutely. I was just, I thought at the beginning, you know, not being a native speaker, not having born, you know, not having been born in Australia, I just thought somebody else is going to win, you know, but it was, um, it was wonderful to, to also meet the person who, who won the award before she was um, a judge for, you know, when, when I was a finalist. And, and she said to me, Isabel, if I had applied for that award, against you, I would have lost. Mm -hmm. I thought, oh my God, that is just the biggest compliment you could ever give me. Um, and yeah, basically it, it is, I'm passionate about education and I'm passionate about people learning how to read and write. That is, you know, because as you know, I was a book nook, you know, since I was little I was mm -hmm. born. So to me, it's just like, if you don't have that, you, you know, knowledge is not there. You, you cannot travel to other countries just by, you know, reading books. It's just the most important thing that anyone can have is to be able to read and write. So, so I was passionate about that. And I worked, I was working back then with Aboriginal communities and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I was blind in mm. my right eye while I did all of that. Um, and, and, you know, to me it was, you know, um, that award was like a, a recognition for, you know, many years of working, um, in, in remote communities and also with car communities across Australia. So I was very, very pleased and very surprised to have won an award that, you know, is such recognizable award, um, across Australia. Yeah, it's very well deserved. And that, you mentioned the Aboriginal communities there. You, saw, you basically, when you arrived in Australia, you volunteered up, in, up north for quite a long time. Where did that passion come from? Well, um, as I said, I just you see the need and, and I see here in Australia the, the famous thing, oh, we're not going to do that because we don't have any funding. Listen, if we had that mentality in South America, we would have never done anything. <laughs> we see the need, we get our hands dirty, and we just do it. We don't take no for answers. Because otherwise, you know, we listen, in Spanish, I cannot even translate the word welfare. You know, it's, it, we get together and we feed our people and we help our old people. And, you know, it's like... We just get together and do what we need to do. Here in Australia, oh, yes, we need to do that, but we're, we have to wait for the funding from the government or whatever to do it. I'm like, well, no, let's do it. So I had a friend of mine that had a, um, you know, she had actually won the, the inaugural award that I won but mm. by uh, actually going to the middle of nowhere in Australia and setting up a learning center. She was amazing. So I, I thought, well, yeah, you need help. I'll go there. So I, my boss, thank God, from work would actually allow me to go there every every three months, spend two weeks, and I would just go there and say to my friend, what do we need to do? She goes, whatever. Okay. And I just did whatever. So, you know, it's, it's, that's the thing. You know, if, if you think it is possible to do, just go do it. Mm. Just don't wait for, for the funding. Just don't wait for anything. Just Just do it. Mm. Uh, because, you know, if the willingness is there, things happen. Mm. That so fight is so, so important. That's such a powerful thing to convey to people that 
um, you know, things aren't always going to go well and fighting for it um, is so important sometimes, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's all about that. It's about passion. You know, a lot of people are, and, and you notice that everywhere, and I notice that everywhere I go in work, you know, if you, if somebody has a title and they represent a, an organization, but if that passion is not in the person, nothing mm. happens. Literally nothing happens. But then all of a sudden the person goes away and there is a new person with the same position in the same organization that is willing to, to do something, then things start to happen. So it is the person, it's, it's you, it's, it's your capacity to actually make a difference and not just you know, follow the, the job description that somebody gave you. If, if you have that capacity to, to make a difference and to do something, you will do it because you want to. And that's what we, we, as I said, and that's why the collective society is so important. We need to work with that, that mentality that, you know, that I think that person might think, I'm all by myself. If I want to do this, I'm all by myself and I can't do that. No, there are many other people that want to do the same thing as you want to do. It's just and the universe will find a way to for you to connect you to the other people. And once you have that, you'll do it. It's funny. We um we like to finish off our podcast because, as you know, it's called Grow Bold with Disability. We always ask our guests what growing bold means to them. But I don't think we need to ask you. <laughs> I, think you I think you just told us, didn't you? It's all about passion, really, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Just go and do it. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. I mean, if I had listened to all the people around my life to tell me that I was not able to do something, I would have never done anything. Mm. Because it is absolutely unbelievable how, you know, people live, you know, with a glass half full, they live with a glass half empty. Mm. I don't. I live with a glass half full and let's see how we can fill it up. So being bold is to do that, just, you know, to, to think outside the square, to really Get yourself outside of your comfort zone and, and, you know, the universe will make it happen. Trust me, you just have to go out there and do it. Fantastic. Uh, Isabel, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grow Bold with Disability podcast brought to you by Ferris Care. Uh, and listeners can find out more about Isabel and the amazing work she's doing in the links provided in today's episode show notes, uh, including that upcoming book, I hope. But Isabel, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, yes, you. everyone can find out about Wait, <laughs> Thank you so much. Before we go, where can we find – when will the book be ready? Um, well, I hope the book will be ready possibly in the next two years. I'm going to take time um, while I'm doing this this work here that I have to work from home to start writing my book. So hopefully, maybe less than that, maybe maybe in, in, in a year's time. Can't wait. Fantastic. We look forward to it. Thanks, Isabel. Thank you so much and take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast, Grow Bold with Disability. And if you like what you heard, then please take a few moments to pop over to iTunes and give our podcast a quick rating so we can continue these conversations and encourage people to grow bold. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold and for over 25 years, Ferris has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.